coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 7th of January, 2024, from Out of the Shadow. With the new year, I thought I'd start a new study, and um, what? You told me what James meant years ago. Yes. Uh-huh. Should we tell that story out loud? Yes, please. So I, I picked the book of James, and then it dawned on me, as Mike said, something that someone told me eons ago, and I had passed on, and unfortunately, Mike had remembered. <laughs> and that was, he says, there's only two times when you preach on the book of James. It says, once when uh, you're ready to move on, and second, when you're ready to retire. <laughs> and I didn't even think about that until we're here. Why? Why would somebody say stuff like that about James, poor James? Because James likes to step on toes. And uh, so my recommendation this week, if you just get out to the store, get one of those, those boots that have the steel built into the toe of the boot so that when we start preaching on the stuff, your, your feet won't get quite so smashed. No, no, just teasing. Anyway, I invite you to a, turn with me to the book of James. And I can tell you this, we're not going to get very far. I thought, this is so wild. I thought, you know, one good thing about James is he doesn't waste a long time giving an introduction. He just jumps into the text. So I started reading, and here's how the first verse goes. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes of the dispersion, greeting. That's it. I mean, Paul goes on for paragraph after paragraph, and James goes, here I am, this is who I'm writing to, howdy. (laughs) And then, uh, now the Lord didn't speak to me audibly or anything along that line. But he says, wait a minute. I've got something I wanted to point out. So I'm going to share with you how the Lord stopped me this week from getting into any further into the text. Now let me go backwards through this passage here a little bit. Verse 1. He says, to the 12 tribes of dispersion. And so basically he's writing to his Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ who are spread out through the Roman Empire and are finding themselves in other communities but are believers. And he's writing to them to say, here's some thoughts that I have that I want to share with you. And the question might come up, why would James do that? And hopefully, by the time we're done with this message, you'll know the answer. But look at how it's addressed. It says, James, a servant of God 
and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you probably wouldn't give it any more thought, except I'm going to give it some more thought. And then hopefully you can see where I was going. We know that Jesus Christ had an earthly family. He had a mom and a dad. He even had brothers and sisters. Brother, some of his brothers are named in Scripture, and, but the sisters are also mentioned. And that got me to thinking, what was it like to grow up in the family with Jesus being the oldest brother, the oldest sibling. What would it be like? Well, I was reminded of a story my dad shared. My dad was raised as an only child. His mom and dad had one kid, he was it. Now, my mom came from a completely different background. Her, her dad, was married and had three kids. Then his wife passed away. He remarried, had five more. So they had eight kids in their family. And one day when the four of us kids uh, had come onto the scene, dad turned to mom and says, what are the kids doing? They're killing each other. And mom goes, no. It says, they're just kids. That's what kids do. She, she knew the whole thing. He had never seen anything like the turmoil that kids can have with other kids playing. So I got to thinking, what was it like in the life of Jesus growing up in the household of Joseph and Mary? What was it like with his brothers and sisters in the mix? Well, we know that there's plenty of dynamics there, and Scripture doesn't tell us a lot. But it does share a little bit, and we'll point that out here in a few moments. What was it like? I wonder if ever Mary or Joseph ever repeated those immortal words. I wish you were more like Jesus. I wish you were, you were more diligent. You were more faithful. You were more obedient. You were more loving. And you were more, I wonder if mom and dad ever laid that on the other kids. Now we know that the dynamics in a, in a family can be immense. We, we know the story of Joseph and his multiple siblings and how wonderfully well they got along. No. And we know that part of this situation was the fact that Joseph had visions that his brothers didn't care for. And we know that Joseph was also a favorite of dad and the whole coat of many colors didn't enamor him to them. They were all sort of 
bent by that. But I wonder what it was like in the life of Jesus and his brothers and sisters. How did they get along? How did they do? Realizing that the only perfect child was Jesus, and then all the rest were there, and he would happen to be the oldest. Hence, the title of my message, Living in the Shadow. What was it like to grow up in the household of Mary and Joseph and under the shadow of the Son of God growing up in the midst? What would it be like? And the reason I raise that is because that is more common than we know, not the Son of God growing up, but the idea of someone in the family having a preferred spot or maybe by virtue of expertise or something, this one is an all-star track star or swimming star or who can, who can know? Maybe is, is a, a brain and, and is skipping grades at school and there is the always subtle, if not spoken, reference about comparison. What about them? What about me? And how many people have grown up living in the shadow of either a famous mom or dad or a sibling who's achieved a bunch and they haven't? I wonder how, how that family dealt with it. In Mark chapter 3, we read these words. And he and his mother, this is Jesus' mother now, and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called to him. Now what had just happened is Jesus had just called his disciples, but before that he had been involved in a lot of healing and the crowds were following, and the crowds were following. And now Mary and, and, and uh, Jesus' brothers came, and standing outside, they sent him and, and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking out at those who sat around him, he says, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And the reason I give that passage is so that you know I'm not making this up when I say that Jesus was raised in a family with a bunch of siblings. Because sometimes that's denied, you know. Immaculate conception, there was no other kids, all the rest. That's not true. Scripture says there are. There were a bunch of kids in the family. So we come to the first principle, and it's a pretty general, generic one. It says, in the home, our lives are shaped, our core beliefs are formed, and our character is revealed. Okay? In the home, our lives are shaped, our core beliefs are formed, and our character is revealed. Now, 
That one little statement can cover years and years of living in a home and in a family. Remember some time ago, I was asked to speak at, at a church down at the coast, and they wanted to have uh, uh, like a homeschool conference, and we had raised our kids and homeschooled. And uh, when I got there, the pastor says, well, the church is pretty well divided on whether we should homeschool or not homeschool. Well, she go to public school or don't go to public school. And, uh, and and that's pretty much the case. All the homeschoolers sat over here. All the non-homeschoolers sat over there. And I go, this is, a, this is a nice context in which to talk. So uh, I said, um, how many of you have kids in your family? Well, there's hands up on both sides, of course. And I said, um, how many of your kids have gone from laying there to rolling over and then crawling and then walking? How? All of them had kids like that along with various things. I said, how many uh, of your kids have gone from bottles to all that good beach nut stuff, you know, and then... Uh, gone on to other foods and have even learned to use uh, silverware and and uh, and hands were up on both sides and I said and how many of your kids have learned to speak the language that we know they may not know how to spell yet they may not know how to write yet but how many know how to speak the language and communicate Hands up all over the place. And I said, so we're all in agreement. Homeschooling is a good thing. <laughs> and I make light of that in a little bit in the sense that in the home, that's where those things happen. I mean, even if we send them off to public school, even if they're pre-kindergarten classes and all the rest, there is so much that's learned at home. And it has to do with uh, what we see as valuable as parents and we pass that on. Those core beliefs then are formed. And also this at last ingredient is key to our character is revealed. Years ago, and I've shared this story before, but maybe not all of you have heard it. We had, we had good friends that lived sort of diagonally across the street from us. And there was four of us kids and there was five in, in that family. And they were, um, and I'm not demeaning the group here. They were all Roman Catholic. They were all good friends. And... Um, they had come over for dinner and we were sitting around a rather large table, as you can imagine, with all the kids and, and two sets of parents. And, and I don't know how it came up. I don't know where the discussion came from that led to this point, but we got on the topic of sin and dad said, not my dad, their dad said, 
I haven't sinned for years. To which, you know, I'm going, really? And I look at the kids, and all the kids' eyes are just rolling. They say, because in the home, the home knows. The family knows in the home. Right? They know what's really true and what's going on. And character is revealed. As the ministry of Jesus took shape with the calling of the disciples and the teaching and the healing, how did the family respond? How did Jesus' family respond? See, because there's no escaping the human dynamic in the family setting. It just doesn't. It's going to happen. So I invite you to turn with me to to Mark again. Uh, In Mark chapter 6, Jesus is involved in ministry. And in Mark chapter 6, we read uh, an occasion in the life of Jesus. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. It says he went away from there, and he had been ministering, and he came to his hometown. So where is he at? He's at Nazareth, right? And his disciples are with him. So this is where his brothers and sisters and mom live. We believe probably the dad had passed away, Joseph had passed away. But they're now in the hometown. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished and were saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? And how are such mighty works done by his hands? Now look at what they had to say. Now these were those outside the family. They said, is this not the carpenter? the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simeon or Simon and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. In other words, he comes to his own hometown. He's preaching in his, in his synagogue that he had grown up in. And as he's preaching, all they could think of, the townspeople would say, We know his family. What makes him special? How did he get the ability to preach like this? I mean, in other places it says they were amazed at his teaching. He spoke with authority and not as a scribe. How did he get that way? After all, we know the family. But think about the family. Because they're hearing all this from the townspeople. And what are they thinking? Yeah, really? (laughs) We knew him. We wrestled with him. We climbed trees with him. We went fishing with him. And the townspeople took offense. But listen to what Jesus said. Because I want you to see a picture into the dynamic of Jesus' home life. 
And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor. In other words, a prophet by the very nature of being a prophet should receive honor. Except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his household. So who's he talking about? Mom and the brothers and the sisters. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them and he marveled because of their unbelief. And I'm wondering in the thinking of the brothers and sisters, if they were living in the shadow of this itinerant preacher who has become famous for his oratory, become famous for his healing, and they go, well, who is he anyway? I mean, he's the guy we played with. He's the guy that, you know, we, we pulled weeds with. He's, we know him. And Jesus said he could do nothing, and he marveled at their unbelief. And you go, okay, pastor, but I thought you said we're doing a study on the book of James. Okay, so I just want to call your attention to something. In verse 3 of chapter 6, says, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James? The James who wrote the epistle that we study was the brother of Jesus Christ and grew up under the shadow of that person and his work and his ministry and his teaching and his healing. Now, what happens if a person grows up in the shadow of someone else? Well, could go different directions. Could become bitter because the person is getting a lot of more attention than somebody else. Could be um, bothered by the fact that they are getting that attention and act out over here so they, they can get some attention. We don't know because it doesn't go into anything about the details, but we know that they had a hard time swallowing who he said he was. After all, there was that familiarity. They had seen him. They had known him. They had lived with him for years. And now to say, oh, yeah, he's somebody special. what happens then is our character is revealed. We saw the character in the life of Joseph and his brothers got upset with Joseph. They finally decided, let's just exterminate him. Let's get rid of him. Unfortunately, they didn't because God's hand was upon him. But they ended up selling him into slavery and then lying to dad. Oh yeah, some animal killed him. He's gone. 
That's the dynamics in the family. And that's how character is revealed. Just like our neighbor across the street when he said, I haven't sinned for a couple of years, and all kids rolled their eyes, they knew the truth. But you know a good thing that just because a house and a home and the way you were raised was a certain way doesn't mean that you can't see change in your life. Because I know that there are people who have been raised in horrible homes. But God has stepped into their heart and life and changed them. So that brings us to our second principle. We said in the home, our lives are shaped, core beliefs are formed, character is revealed, but our second one is the course of our life can change. We know how that happens. It's by the grace of God. So we've been talking about Jesus, but we've also been talking about James who was raised in the same home. And if it's true what we read in Mark chapter 6, that one of the unbelievers may have been James. Because it says, he says he had no honor even among his relatives and his own household. We don't know if that was universal, that all the family felt the same way, or there were some who say, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. And where James stood, I don't know. But before we get back to James, the first chapter, I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians 15. It's one of those key chapters that you sort of should stick in your brain. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about the resurrection. And we can pl spend plenty of time here, but I just want to focus on a couple verses. In verse 3, it says, For I delivered to you, Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture's, and then he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to... James. He appeared to James and then to all the apostles. So Jesus, after the resurrection, sought out his brother and made himself known to him. And I think there was a big change in the heart and the life of James. Why I say that is because what we read in the rest 
of the book of Acts and references to it. There's two references I want to give you, Galatians chapter 2 and Acts 15. But I don't need to go to Acts 15 because Tom already read it for you. So let's go to Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul is talking about his experience and he had gone out and done ministry and he and Barnabas had started sharing the gospel with the Gentiles and as he shares uh, this, uh, Paul is recounting his life experiences when he finally returned back to Jerusalem which was at the council that Tom read for us when we had the scripture reading. Listen to what it says in chapter 2, verse 7 and following. And on the contrary, when they saw that I had been trusted with the gospel to the uncircumcision, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, work also through me with mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. We go, did you catch what it said? He says, Paul, when we came back, we came back to the church to report on what God had been doing. He says, in my perception of what was going on, there was three leaders that seemed to be over the church there in Jerusalem, James and Cephas and John. What a change from unbelief, living in the, under the shadow of Jesus, to now being a leader in the church. And I don't know if you caught it in Acts chapter 15. You don't have to turn back there. But if you remember what Tom was saying when he read, they had given their report, and then James stood up, and he recounts what they had said and said, well, remember the scripture that said that they were going to go to the Gentiles as well? And in verse 19, he says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble these, those of the Gentiles who have turned to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted in the blood. In other words, James stands up in the midst of the council of Jerusalem in, in Acts 15, and he says, this is my decision about how we should do ministry among the Gentiles. And what you don't read is that all of them said, amen. In fact, James was known as James the Just, who was a person who is held in high esteem in the church in Jerusalem. What a change. What a change. In James' life, 
went from being an unbeliever to, as you might guess, a believer. And that's a work of God's grace in the life. He went from being a brother of Jesus. Are you ready for this? To being a servant of Jesus. Went from being a follower to leader. And I saw that some looks in your eyes there. He said, okay, I get the unbeliever to believer. I get the follower to a leader. Well, where did you get this idea from brother to servant? Well, I got that from our passage this morning. Weren't you reading? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I say the Lord sort of stopped me in my tracks. He said, you want to go on and start talking about what James had to preach? He said, but we need to talk about James first. What we have in that opening line, as James describes himself, what we see is the, is the wonder and the power and the might of God to reach into a family member's life and change his thinking from saying, I grew up with them and we wrestled and we climbed trees and we went fishing, to he is the son of God. Was there a big transition there? Oh, yeah, there was. The course of our life can change. We know how James came to see his older brother. Question is, how do we see him? James, who was up close and personal, who had seen him around the table, had done chores with him, had gone with dad working on the job, had done all these things together, then says, oh, by the way, I am now a slave, bond slave of Jesus Christ. The word doulos is there. I voluntarily put myself under his authority and he is the one who directs me. I don't know about you but I don't think my brother would ever say that about me. This was an act of God's grace. An act of God's mercy. So we come back <clears throat> to the opening line in the book of James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that James, after meeting up with his brother after the resurrection, was changed. And James had the background on Jesus and he didn't roll his eyes at Jesus but he says everything he's been saying is true everything he's been saying is exactly true 
So when we approached the book of James, realized that James was written by a transformed man. And then coming out from underneath the shadow of his big brother, he stepped up, became a leader in the Jerusalem church and said, I take my directions from him. Wow. Well, traditionally, we have, on the first Sunday of the month, turned our attention to the Lord's table. It is because we commemorate the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. His body broken for us, his blood shed for us. We're going to transition here in a moment down to the table. We're going to share the elements, have the men come forward. If you would, hold them and we'll partake together. You'll be signaled when to do that. But as I move down here, let's take a few moments quietly, privately before the Lord in prayer and give thanks that as James' life was changed, ours was changed too when we came to know him as Savior and Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to share these moments around the table. And while we've done this on many occasions, let it be fresh to us today. As we think about that man, Jesus Christ, who grew up in the household of Joseph and Mary and brothers and sisters. And then because he was the son of man, the son of God, he went about performing miracles preaching and teaching about the kingdom and then talking about heart and life changes. And we knew and we know that at the very core of that was the sacrifice for our sins. And so we give thanks that we can remember, stop and pause and remember and we do so by using these elements to speak of his body that was used and abused and broken. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. And we thank you for his blood shed on our behalf. And so Heavenly Father, we pray as we share these elements that you would draw us into your presence individually. And we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. You ask the men to come forward if you would, please. And Tom, would you lead us in prayer as we share the broken? Our precious and heavenly Father, we thank you for what you 
did for us on the cross and that you took our lives and changed it and brought us closer to you. We just thank you for all that you do in our lives and we give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen. Amen. said to partake of this broken bread because the work of Jesus Christ has already been completed on the cross. So we take and eat in remembrance of him. Second element is the fruit of the vine, some grape juice. And Mike, if you'd lead us in prayer, please. Lord, Father, God, we thank you again and we praise you for this time that we come together here to give you, give you glory by worshiping you and thanking you as a body together. We thank you, Father, for your body that was placed upon the cross and your blood shed for us, a perfect, sinless sacrifice for our sins and through you we have life we thank you father and let our lives be walked out lived out and shown to the, everyone around us as we go out into our our days and weeks and months ahead of us that we glorify you with our lives and shine your light and give you glory and share your gospel to those who need to hear thank you again father for this great sacrifice that you've done for us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. cup like the broken bread is just a teaching tool a reminder to us it doesn't change doesn't become the actual blood of Jesus but it speaks of the sacrifice that was required let's drink to the new covenant in this blood I'm going to ask the men if they would take the trays and come back and collect your cups. <clears throat> 